This week on Dig Me Out. We swore to ourselves we go to the end of the world, but I got caught up in the world, twirl of it all. A day in the sun, dancing alone, baby. I'm so sorry. Now it's coming to you. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, speaking of the union, we have... You got one? We have one. We, lure, we lured one in. We pulled the van up, stuck some candy out the side. <laughs> That's some some bargain bin CDs. Yeah. Hey, I got a I got a clean jewel case here with no scratches or cracks. <laughs> it's the green ones from Ryko Disc. They're really rare. Uh no, joining us back again, making his, I don't know, like 13th appearance or something like 12th or 13th appearance. Mr. Scott Holgram. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm good. You guys are making me sound better. You did, you you lied. I was really thirsty and I reached out and I'm like, hey, when do I get to do my episode? When do I get to do my episode? Well, I know you were amped to do this one based on the conversation last year. Now let's just set the stage here before we tell before we disclose what we're talking about. Last year we discussed with you the album Heartwork by Carcass. Before that, it was The Art of Rebellion by Suicidal Tendencies. I'm seeing a pattern. Okay. Yeah. Primus, Frizzle Fry. Okay. That fits. Okay. Now, as a curveball here, They Might Be Giants, Apollo 18. What? Yeah. Then we go back to some heavier stuff. Masters of Reality, Sunrise on the Suffer Bus, Living Colors, Stain. And then another curveball, Jennifer Trinan's Cockamamie. Mm, and classic back classic in, digs me out episode classic and then back in 2017 mr bungles disco volante now you have joined us for some round tables as well but based on that based on the like so you got one two three four five I, i'm guessing this might be a curveball <laughs> this might be slightly different than carcass and suicidal tendencies well last year the conversation ended with something like you know, Scott, you always bring us something that's like hard to digest or something like that because it was it was carcass. And I said, yeah, well, next year I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm going to do Indigo Girls. And Jay said, hey, you can't just throw that out there. So here we are. 30, 30 year anniversary, Swampophilia, Indigo Girls. Here we there are. You didn't Jay, waver. Have you uh, spent much time with the Indigo Girls? I have not. I mean, I think I'm as generally familiar with anybody that you know followed music since the 90s but no i've never listened to an album i mean i know some of the songs that's about it how about you same um i don't even know that i actually had heard any indigo girls other than like seeing maybe a clip of them performing at lilith's fair or something like that like i i don't think i've ever heard a studio recording by them and i know they've had you know big single especially back in the 90s they had a number of singles um like closer to fine and and stuff like that uh i i just did not i was not 
on that radar. They, uh, they're featured in the new Barbie movie, right? Oh yeah. Closer to fine gets a very nice treatment in that movie. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot there you go. That. So you have heard him. Yeah. Is it them performing it or does somebody cover that? I think it's them. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it, it just features so heavily. It's Oh, so in the movie it's Brandy Carlisle. Okay. Oh, okay. But on wow. the soundtrack, or in so it, uh, that's in the soundtrack, but in the movie, um, it's the original version. I thought it's pretty close. I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> it says um, it was played on three occasions in the film. First is a song that plays when the character takes a road trip to leave Barbie Land for the real world. Also appears in the trailer. Reviewers know that the song was an anomaly among tracks by contemporary artists such as Dua Lipa and Lizzo, but spoke positively to its placement in the movie. Brandy Carlisle covered the song with backup vocals from her wife for the film's accompanying soundtrack, although the original version is the one that appears in the movie. So there you go. Good to get a Barbie placement because that will help with the uh, algorithm for people to uh, discover the podcast. <laughs> right. Make sure you tag it. Yeah. <laughs> so how long have you been uh, a fan of the Indigo Girl, Scott? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if, see, what I, I don't know even know if I'd describe myself that way. I would, um, I guess I would say if somebody asked me, do you like the Indigo Girls? I would say yes, because I like, I like what I've heard, um, which includes this album. Like I have like two or three albums and then I have like a live album and I've heard, you know, various stuff here and there. Um, I'm not even sure how I got this album. Like this might be one of the CDs I acquired, you know, in marriage, you know, um, got it. So, so how long have I been a fan? I mean, I've always liked Closer to Fine. But, you know, 10, 20 years, I don't know, is how well long I've known this album. So early 90s is, is what you're saying is probably when you discovered or heard them first? Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I'm going to share a little history. History of the band. Uh, the members of the band are Amy Ray and Emily Selliers. Uh, that's it. This isn't like an 80s metal band where there's 55 members and different like this is it. There's two people now they've had obviously have touring musicians that, that go out on the road with them and they've had musicians in the studio with them. But Amy and Emily write all the songs and and perform, you know, acoustic guitar vocals. I think on this record, they're playing uh, some classical guitar. There's a bazooki or bozuki. I'm not sure how you pronounce that exactly, but that's sort of like in the mandolin area from what I've researched. Hmm. So they yeah, actually met while they were in elementary school wow. and they started performing together in high school in Decatur, Georgia. They actually went to two different colleges and then both of them separately decided to come back. And, um, one of their dad, uh, Emily Sellier's dad was a professor at Emory University. They both decided after going to Tulane and Vanderbilt that they didn't want to be away from home. So they both came back and went to Emory. And they started uh, in 85, I guess, is when they officially were like the Indigo Girls playing shows and stuff like that. They did a seven inch single. Um, and then the same year they did a six track EP um, that was followed by an uh, 1987 full length album called Strange Fire, which they self-released. They got a manager at that point 
since there was, you know, late 80s, early 90s, there was like a resurgence or not a resurgence, but there was a lot of um, female singer, songwriter, folk based artists that were getting signed like Tracy Chapman, Suzanne Vega, 10,000 Maniacs. Uh, Epic Records ended up signing them uh, to jump on the bandwagon. They ended up releasing a lot of records with uh, Epic uh, up until so basically from their Epic debut, which was their sophomore record in 89, which is self-titled, it went double platinum. Uh, they released Nomads Indian Saints in 1990. That went gold. Rites of Passages in 92. That went platinum. Swamp Ophelia in 94. That went platinum. Shaming of the Sun went gold. Um, that was in 97. And then Come On Come on Now Social in 1999. Become You in 2002. And their final record for Epic was All That We Let In. They also, to finish their deal with Epic, they released a Rarities record. And they signed a five-album deal with Hollywood Records. So in 2006, they put out Despite Our Differences and then were immediately dropped by Hollywood Records. <laughs> I hope they were paid up front for those five yeah. records. Like an NFL deal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I would I would hope so, yes. Uh, they Especially their since own, it was a second deal. Yeah, they started their own label at that point, Vanguard Records, and they released Poseidon and the Bitter Bug in 2009. Holy Happy Days in 2010, Beauty Queen Sister in 2011, One Lost Day in 2015, and then in 2020, they released Look Long on Rounder Records. They've also released, um, you mentioned about live albums, they've released three live albums and an EP. The last one was also on Rounder Records. It was live with the University of Colorado Symphony Orchestra, and then they've released a number of compilations, both like bests of, retrospectives, uh, rarities, essential, that kind of thing. And a lot of um, covers and songs released on compilations. They do a lot of charity work from what I read, um, a lot of activism, activism work. And um, yeah, so there was, uh, I thought there was something with South Park, but I was wrong. I read that. I, I was hoping we we're going to tie back into the previous conversation that we were having, but uh, interesting fact as songwriters, Amy, Amy is the voice of uh, Tally on South yes, Park. As songwriters, they don't write together. Like they write their own songs separately and they don't use outside songwriters. They only written one song with somebody that wasn't in the band. And that was Michael Stipe for a, like a charity song. Hmm. And they've had, Super interesting to be in a duet and not write together. Yeah. Um, actually, so when I was doing the research on their history and stuff, they talked about, I found a quote about their playing. Because obviously, if you have two songwriters, there might be some differences. Emily Sellers described herself as, quote, a lyric person. She said, I've always respected Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Amy is much more a combination of music and lyrics. She likes... She really likes alternative rock a lot, and she likes the feel of certain kinds of music as well as the lyrics. Amy is more stream of consciousness. She doesn't censor herself. She just channels it. She does different kinds of images and songs. She, uh, Emily said, mine is much more singer-songwriter narrative style. Um, I try to take an idea and really pinpoint it, make it as clear as possible. So they work, they write the songs separately, but then to arrange them, they work together. 
because obviously when you're doing all this vocal work together i mean you got to arrange that mm-hmm. <laughs> together you're not okay. uh working separately on that part of it they're still at it uh they do other stuff they have done solo records outside of the indigo girls and i believe emily Sailors like is involved with um restaurants in her hometown in i don't know if it's decatur or if it's uh so we got a few comments over at patreon this was i think this was a confounding one for people because it only got four votes in the poll not a lot of votes people and willie dylan said i've listened to a few songs it's not bad but it's not for me i didn't vote so the decent single wasn't me Okay, well, you're off the hook. You're off the hook. Michael Jinn said, good storytelling, enjoyable for what it is, worthy album. And then poor Ian McIver. I feel like every album this year has been directly, <laughs> it's been like an assault on on Ian this year. We haven't gotten close to his wheelhouse. Uh, he said, um, I listened to this with my wife. She enjoys the Indigo Girls uh, song that was in the Barbie movie. She didn't mind some tracks, but she's not a union member, so she has no vote. He said, "Jeez, I am reminded of the Far Side cartoon, Charlie Parker's Private Hell, where the devil is subjecting him to New Age music. Um, I know Indigo Girls isn't New Age, but Folk is close enough. Comic posted in Discord, decent single. So, uh, I've seen the the Far Side cartoon. I know what he's doing. I mean, A plus comment there. Yeah, nice work, Ian. Tie in multi multiple media's right there." brought his wife in i mean yeah exactly you know you could have given her your vote you could have it could have been in uh you know is he in in a common property state because she might have half a vote like well he's canadian so it's canadian we have no idea how it operates i don't know what kind of rules they're running with up there you might have to like she might have to pay him a loony or something there's yeah there's an exchange rate going on there might be some maple syrup involved right Oh my goodness! Just throw out every every cliche about Canadians. Well, something so all nice. flat. There's something so nice. all flatheads. <laughs> oh my god! That's yeah. So there's nothing left to talk about but the records. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Swamp Ophelia by Indigo Girls. Well, the first thing you noticed, obviously, with this group is the vocals, super strong delivery. You know, you get two voices that are exchanging between songs who's the lead who's providing the harmony even within parts of the songs it starts to get you know blurry in terms of what the lead is they do a lot of like counter melodies and harmonies kind of intertwining so right out of the gate you know you're pulled in by the vocal i really liked some there are three types of vocals i heard on here that i liked in deliveries one was there's like a straight up old school like folky delivery that's got that defiant like irish folk kind of thing going on so fugitive or union to me Mm -hmm. had that tone that i thought was really solid Pretty pretenders, 
it's got a little bit of attitude it's in front of the beat um you know it's traditional enough that it kind of feels timeless it's got a little bit of edge to it um i like the intertwining stuff you know at least complicated is a good example of that strong melody you know these voices moving you know in and out of each other pretty good hook then there's some hushed and almost you know, a little haunting vocal tones here too. So Touch Me Fall is a good example. Um, you know, again, strong background, background vocals, but it's a little bit more moody, uh, especially in the verse. Uh, and then something else that I, I didn't quite expect coming into the record. I mean, you know, I knew I was going to generally get something like that with vocals, but there's some songs in here that have some really interesting dynamic arrangements and builds. Uh, thinking of the train revised uh, as a good example, touch me falls, another good example um, where you go from like sometimes like pitter patter or almost secondary drums to like those songs, especially the, the train, this train revised breaks out into these really dynamic drums. Almost that song where it's almost reminiscent of the who uh, and how dynamic it is. There's some stops in it. There's some tons of drum fills it's got a little edge to it um first half of touch me fall um, and that song kind of has two parts to it so the first half is it's kind of pr pretty dark sounding it could almost be an allison chain song um if you really break down like the melody she's singing like the tone of it so i found that like super interesting um the Dead Man's Hill is another example um, of some cool twists and turns. Uh, the beginning portion of that almost could be like a whole song, uh, the acoustic part. So I, I can definitely hear like the, the alternate alt-rock kind of influences, either not saying that they're following those bands, but sort of like similar ideas, like listening to the classic rock, reinterpreting those on acoustic and sort of in the same space as some of those artists I mentioned. Um, and then there's some, I think, just good light dark here, like some dark moods with uplifting choruses. Touch Me Falls is another example of that, where you know, the verse is very dark, and then you sort of get this dramatic shift to a, you know, a brighter chorus. So, you know, I like what's going on dynamic, both dynamically here, both with the vocals and also with, uh, just the tone of the songs and the sound rating. It's uh, there's some twists and turns that I didn't quite expect, which was fun. So what worked for you, Tim? Well, a lot of the same stuff, and I should mention that of the songs you mentioned, I think you mentioned six songs. Five of those were written by Amy, right, as opposed to Emily. Yeah, and I definitely fall on the side of liking her style a little bit more because with her in the lead vocal it it just has a different tone um you mentioned having an, an Alice in Chains vibe to touch me fall I I that's a great comparison I, there are parts of that actually reminded me of Marcy Mays and Scrawl or or her, mm -hmm. her work on my curse with the Afghan wigs especially with the way that the violin I think it's a violin it's definitely some strings that are like bending and really tense tense ways that are creating tension that is not what i think of when i think of like traditional folk music like you mentioned the yeah. 
the more singer songwritery folk music. So hearing that, and then also on the opening song, it's a, it's got a big dramatic sweeping, uh, or, or, uh, uh, orchestral aspect to that song. Um, those things hook me really well. Also, I, I really liked in her songs when, I mean, they both have amazing voices, amazing control of, of what they're doing when they are able to intertwine their vocals, as opposed to layer them like harmony versus counter melody, counter melodies are crazy good, especially on songs like reunion. And I really like the counters um, on Emily's song, the wood song. There's some strings on that. There's some tempo changes on that song, but there's also some really cool counter melodies where you have Emily's main vocal and then Amy's doing something in the background that's not exactly the same. It might be the same words at times, but they're just sung differently. And it's just, it's so cool to hear those two things happening at once. Um, that's where it like hits best for me is when it's a little more, not chaotic, but just a, there's, it's a little busier than just two guitars, two voices locked in together. And the vertical's quarters are hard to get used to. Love weighs the hull down with its weights. But the wood is tired and the wood is old. And we'll make it fine if the weather holds. But if the weather holds, will it miss the points? That's where. That's what worked for me. Scott, what works best for you on this record? I mean, um, you know, it's a lot of the same stuff. I'll say I think I think the songwriting excels. I think if you take away all the counter melodies and all the orchestration, I think these are great songs. Just they just came to the table with a well-written song. And then on top of that, like you're talking about the orchestration, the counter melodies. The, the harmonies, the way they work together, that is all excellent and takes it to a new new level. Um, and I think that's that's like a growth of the band. I 
won't sit here and say I'm an expert on individual girls or discography, like I said earlier, but you know, from 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 what I know of their earlier stuff, they are growing at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are uh, maturing and 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 growing as as songwriters and arrangers and performers and things like that, you know. Um and I was gonna say like so so all of that works for me. And that, like I think they, you know, were influenced by the other things that were going on at the time, you know, you mentioned Dallas and Change. I don't know if that specifically, but Touch Me Fall, I think is, you mentioned it being two songs I thought about today. And it's it's A-B-A-B-C-C, where C-C is like the second song, mm-hmm. um, the second half of it. Um, and I think what really, the last thing I'll say that works great for me is the back half of the album. Um, and starting basically... I like it. I like it from the start. Fugitive's great, but like starting from that second part of Touch Me Fall through to the end is just like incredibly strong. Um, and so there was one comment from Patreon that said like they listened to a few songs and it wasn't for them. And I mean, I'm not saying this album is for them, but you know, if you if you if you left off after like Power of Two, like you might want to come back and finish it up. Mm, true. Well, I, I need to mention like they have some heavy hitters playing with them so on drums is um jerome murata who's a like a session type drummer um they got sarah lee on bass who plays on bass on a number of the records she was in gang of four after dave allen left gang of four so wow she also played with robert fripp those are (laughs) sort of some interesting okay bands um she has Danny Thompson or, or they have Danny Thompson on bass. He was, he played with Richard Thompson, Chuck Laville on drum or on piano and chimes from the Allman brothers. Um, Lisa Germano plays penny whistle, mandolin and violin. Can we review this on here? Jane Saberi, who was a solo artist in her own right. Um, she plays, uh, she does backing vocals on here. Uh, there's like another 10 people that are like doing, you know, obviously there's a lot of strings. There's trumpets, harmonica, timpani, uh, various percussions, wind, woodwind arrangements. And then I looked at the previous ones and albums and it's crazy the amount of like Kenny Arnoff plays on one of the, the albums. Jackson Brown and David Crosby do backing vocals on one of the previous records. Um <laughs> Budgie, the drummer from Susie and the Banshees, plays with them. Uh, and they had Gail Ann Dorsey as their touring bassist for a while, who is an amazing bassist to play with David Bowie and a bunch of other people. So, like, it's it's interesting to hear this because you go, oh, this is really interesting. And and it's not nothing really um, like there's no blatant like oh that's a steve Vai guitar solo right there like right. you listen to this and it's like yeah this sounds really really good nothing is jumping out in terms of being like oh that's maybe overplaying or that's maybe not the right vibe or something like that like well yeah because they have an insane number of great musicians playing with them they also track this at like four different studios including abbey Rhodes and shepherd bush uh shepherd's oh. bush in london uh, it sounds great. I yeah. I never guessed they tracked it at different places. And Peter Collins, who's an English producer, um, he produced the album. His, his, 
Okay, we can tie it back. He produced Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, there bon you Jovi, go. Alice Cooper, Rush, Queensryche, Air Supply, Billy Squire, Gary Moore. Wait, wow. are you saying are you saying there's all this and there's no Mark Lanigan connection? There's no Mark Lanigan connection. <laughs> how, I yeah, he how does he not pop up with a with a vocal somewhere on this? <laughs> But well, there's a guy, there is a like a deep male voice in one of the songs. It's kind of back in the distance. We can just imagine that's Mark Lane again. We'll say this. But that's just a, it's just a, such an interesting combination of people from so many different walks of life that are all combined on this album that I was just, I was floored when I read how many people, you know, they might just be contributing one thing on one track, like just one baseline or something like that. But like they, they had some, they had a good Rolodex back then. They could call some people. Um, Jay, what it's, doesn't work for you on the record? It's Dead Man, Man's Hill is the song that I think. Uh, oh, okay. Song. <laughs> I, I mean, he would be on the song Dead Man's Hill, right? Oh, it, oh that nah. sounds like a Mark Lanigan song title. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the M- Emily Saylor stuff is, it, it, it's just too adult contemporary for me. Um yeah, I can hear the James Taylor. I can hear the Joni Mitchell. You know, it's very much in that that place. You know, some of it I can close my eyes, imagine it. You know, uh, accompanying a animated kids movie. It's just very soft and twee, not non offensive, <laughs> um, in any way. Yeah. So I don't love that stuff, and it's they kind of go ping pong style through the record like uh, an amy song and emily song and amy song and emily song so it helps the record for me to you know kind of weave in those darker moments or those edgier moments uh keep me interested but i'm really like as i look through here and see what everything i highlighted and what the credits are i think it's all the amy ray songs uh, and that's just i think just a personal preference like i don't know that the writing's any different um, I mean, in terms of quality, it's just a subjective style um, right? that I just like better. Um, how about you, Tim? Anything not work? No, I, I'm I'm right with, with you. Um, her stuff is, like you said, just a little bit more straightforward. I also feel like they use less counter melodies in her songs and they're more locked in together. And that to me is where I lose some interest. Um, I One of the songs that was mentioned being covered a lot uh, by other people is Power of Two. It was actually the third single released. There's a place we like to drive way out in the country Five miles out of the city limit we're singing and your hands upon my knee So we're okay All the ghosts from your head I'm stronger than a monster beneath your bed Smarter than the tricks played on your heart Look at them together, then we'll take them apart Adding up the total of all of that's true Multiply life by the power of two 
And to me, like that's indicative of like what doesn't work because when they get to that chorus, I feel like it's all it's so sugary and and yeah friendly that it sounds like a like it could be like a commercial. Yeah. And I I just like it's too clean. It's too like and I think that what Emily said in that quote about Amy Ray being interested in alternative music and mm-hmm. you know not necessarily approaching it from a like a a singer songwriter approach probably helps me appreciate her songs better because there is a little bit more than just vocal guitar not to say that every you know i do like of of emily's song like i mentioned i like um uh the wood song and i think least complicated is is a good song as well but they just don't have quite as much happening as the uh the amy ray songs which I think you and I are on the same page as far as that goes. So Scott, uh, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? Yeah. Um, and I think what I'll say is going to be a bit of a yes, but um, it's going to support you, but then it's going to kind of take things in a different direction. Um, you know, in my notes, you know, I said the back half worked really well for me. And so by consequence, I think that the front half will have a little more trouble with, and in particular is tracks two through five, three of those four are Emily's songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and I, I think there's like a general problem with the sequencing here. I'm not sure why so much got buried in the back half. And the, like, I think you mentioned the wood song. I love that mystery might be my favorite song on here. It might be mm. fugitive. And so those are two Emily songs back to back that I really, really like. Um, when it comes to sequencing, I think fairly well would have been a perfect ender. Uh, because you come right off a of dead man's hill, which is kind of big, and then you can and you think like, oh, here's a nice kind of quiet one to take us out, and then they come right back with another Amy song that's trend revised, which I love. It's just you know, at 40 minutes in, I was like, I was kind of, I was taking kind of taking a deep breath and ready to move on to the next thing, and then they kind of hit me with this other song. So that's what I'd say. I think Emily's best stuff gets buried. Um, I do like least. I mean, I like I like every song. I do really like least complicated. The problem is, it's too damn catchy. Like I cannot get that song out of my head. And I guess that's that's the last thing I'd really say. Um, it's hard for me with this. Is that while I like it and have enjoyed it for, I mean, I don't know how many years I've had it. Like I said, but when I've listened to it a lot the last week or two to prepare for this, um, I get tired of it pretty quick. Like I, I can pick it. About five years from now, listen to it start to finish and enjoy, you know, just about every minute of it, except for those weird sound effects that are in there for some reason. Um, but uh, but listening to it a lot in a week was like, okay, I've, I'm full. I'm ready, for <laughs> I'm ready for a different cuisine now. Like this is, I'm full of this. I agree with you. I had to like take a break each time. I mean, I listened to it over and over again, but I never listened to it back to back. I'd always no. like take a break, do something else maybe listen to something else or, or just, you know, not listen to anything for a while and then go back to it to try to, you know, pick up something new. Um, that was definitely a consideration while, <laughs> while I was going through this. Also, I'm just not familiar with folk music. It's just never been something that I've been that interested in. So it's, it's just a, a foreign sound to me and I'm not sure I can, I'm fully, acclimated in terms of enjoying it sort of like this and i was trying to think of the other stuff that i 
don't listen to that often, but just kind of listen to everything now. What about you, Jay? Was this something you could you had to take a break while you're listening to it? Yeah, I'll say um I mean I like I'm a fan of Americana. I love Brandy Carlisle. So I like stuff that's like folk adjacent. So on the surface, sort of got it. But I think like you guys said, you know, I would give it a spin and be like, okay, I'm good for a while. And then we come back to it. I didn't really, I think, get it and appreciate it until I did like more of an active listen and started taking notes. And I started to realize, oh, well, this is the song I like. This is the song, you know, as I started to call those songs out and kind of break them down and then see that Amy wrote all of them, it started to make sense. I'm like, oh, that's why I think on the passive listens, I was getting pulled out because I was like, you know, it was like in some ways listening to a record that had another artist on it that you weren't connecting with every other song, right? So you're kind of just like continually like passively pulled out of it not even realizing why and it as i broke it down i kind of got like oh i'm i'm into this style of writing and this singer and this material not so much in this material so if you mix the two together it's going to be a little bit more challenging you know sort of as a first couple passes passive listen so it's like listening to the Goo Goo Dolls, either like a Robbie Goo song or a Johnny right. Goo song. Well, imagine if, yeah, if Robbie imagine. wrote half the songs and then they would like, would have done like A, B, A, B, A, you know, well, the entire record. It was that way. I mean, he was writing five, six songs for a, on a 12, 13 song album back in the 90s. Well, early on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like now, now he gets, in, one song. he gets one song now. He gets one song like track 11. That's Robbie's <laughs> time to play the punk song. Right. <laughs> uh but yeah um so as i mentioned there were three singles released and this went gold in 94 i feel like in terms of where this was getting plays this was not the same stations or what have you that i was listening to like you mentioned like adult contemporary i'm curious i'm like i'm trying to think of like where would this have been played in 94 that people are hearing it because it wouldn't be on like you know your your alternative rock station in 94 um so i'm guessing there was was like some sort of adult contemporary station obviously this would be like a vh1 versus mtv band right for 94 minneapolis had a couple of stations kjjo and Cities 97, which were seen as alternative. Cities 97 was more adult contemporary, and they would, but even KJJO, which was like the alternative station, they would they would dip into this. Um, so there's that's a regional thing, though. You know, yeah, I, I don't. It's not going to get a bunch of national play. I feel like folk had a little bit of a moment in the late 90s. Like there was some space for it. You heard some artists like starting. In- you know, even like you could even argue like Dave Matthews is adjacent to this and like there's blues traveler and like stuff that's a little jammy or whatever, but like oh, yeah. in that space that this might fit better a couple years later than ninety four, even a year or two later. Sure. And and obviously, um you know, they're part of the, the Lilith Fair. Yeah. And um, 
there were a whole bunch of artists that I, I mean that yeah. was a wide spectrum. Joan Osborne and all that. Yeah, yeah Joan Osborne. That we mentioned Lisa Germano. You, you play them alongside Sarah McLaughlin at that time. Exactly. Yeah. But even then, like Sarah McLaughlin's writing, like by the time she hits fumbling towards ecstasy, she's hitting like very blatant radio singles and yeah. Yeah. you know, there's like <laughs> dance remix versions of, of possession and stuff like that happening. Um, they feel like they've just always been like an album catalog touring band. Like that's just oh, yeah. the point. Like yeah, they're fan bases. Try, trying to write hits for the radio, even though their songs are super melodic and can be hooky. Like it seems like the intent has always been like, let's build a catalog and create a following and do a yeah. lot of live stuff. Yeah, 100%. And, and they're ideal for being a catalog artist because if you look at what they did with Epic, their first six records all go gold or platinum. I mean, that's that's exactly what you want, right? Yeah, you want for sure. A, a solid, consistent seller. You can tell the shareholders, we know they're going to sell 500,000 to a million copies. You know, we can put the X number of promotion into them, get them on the road, that kind of stuff. And, you know, Maybe it was a little different back in 89, but basically it's the same concept. Like you're trying to find artists that can just consistently sell record and they don't, you know, leave that until, excuse me, in terms of gold and platinum until 99, which makes, I, I think that kind of makes sense because by 99, you know, a lot of those artists that were involved with Little Affair were not doing anything anymore, you know? Lance Morissette had she made had she made a follow up record by then, or was it after that? And then Fiona Apple took like time off, and um, Sarah McLaughlin. I don't remember what the follow up was to. It wasn't. It was after Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, the, the record after that. Um, but those like a lot of artists in that style seem to be not as present on radio and MTV and stuff because of the you know, pop punk and new metal and that kind of stuff taking over, especially MTV uh, by the, by 99. Yeah. Um, it was, a, it was a fleeting moment there it just from a commercial like mass um, radio kind of place. You had to like, I think if you're one of these artists that was doing anything like that, you had to go, go tour like become a touring band and make it work that way. Looked like they were mostly hitting like adult top 40 adult alternative, um, which is called triple a. And um, now you would have them in like on serious radio would be like coffee talk, not coffee talk. Uh, what's that? <laughs> coffee talk is with Mike Myers. Um, coffee house. Oh, coffee That's house. what I mean. Like, like the singer songwriter channel where you would get like yep. acoustic artists of all different kinds mixed in with like stuff that might be a little jazzy, a little bit more world music. Like you mentioned Americana, like that all kind of works together. I mean, there are parts of this record where they're, they're using some percussion and stuff that has a little bit of an Americana not, or a little bit of a world tinge to it. So mm -hmm. totally would fit in there. Um, I just don't remember like what those stations were that were the triple a stations. I don't even know if that's still around. Uh, oh no, they're not. There are no triple a stations anymore as of 2019. 
the alter yeah, country. One one thing that's interesting is I just was googling their singles, um, and like their their two biggest singles that I think the two that I think are biggest are closer to finding Galileo. Those are both written by Emily. Um, Ghost, which is another one I know of, was written by Emily. The only single from this album, well, you said there were three, but I guess I'm looking at a different page that just has one instead. That was written by Emily. So she's definitely the one they, they put out front. Mm -hmm. She's the, she's the business in front and Amy's the party in the back, maybe. <laughs> I think that makes sense. I mean, in yeah. terms of, you know, Emily's hooks are great. Yeah. They're just different, but they're very clear. And I think Amy's songwriting style lends it to a little bit um more obscured where what the big hook is and and the sound and you know also the fact that touch me fall is over six minutes long doesn't exactly make itself a radio signal get into our rating of worthy album better ep or decent single we'll share the results from patreon in a moment but jay where do you land on swamp ophelia i'm landing at a uh amy ray ep i think i yeah. got fugitive i think least complicated is my favorite of the emily songs reunion touch me fall dead man's hill and this train revised like that that would work out pretty well for me. Worry about Tim. I, I same thing. I would add the wood song to that, so I would be at six songs. But I'm at a six song EP. Four of them being Amy songs, two of them being Emily songs. Scott, uh, this is hard. I think just semantically, I would say this would be a better EP if you. But that's that's the case for most, right? If you take out like the four weakest tracks, mm -hmm. and I could probably cut. Um, Three, four, five, and make it an EP. But like I said, I, I can listen to it, you know, start to finish, and I like all of it. So for me, it's a for me, it's a worthy album. Well, our patrons, they struggled with this. Twenty five percent worthy album, seventy five percent decent single. Whoa, I I think that that's off. I I understand that some people this is not their bag it's not their bag man and that's fine but and I, i'm sure that there were people who saw when this went up with the poll were like oh tim and jay are gonna they're gonna hate this but i think we've we have expanded over the last 14 years what are you know in 2011 i probably wouldn't have been able to analyze this as well as i can now what do you well, think jay I mean, I own the Sarah McLaughlin album, so I don't know that 
in the nineties, I would have been any different on this record. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, what I had heard of the band prior to this was more of the Emily stuff. Like you, like you said, um, those are the hits. So that's what I was familiar with. Yep. So I was pleasantly surprised to see the other side of the, the group. Um, and that material and once i started to process that you know sort of distinguish that and process it, it, it as its own thing my appreciation of the record you know it's changed quite a bit so it's in the you know like it's kind of in a ballpark of stuff i liked in the 90s and sort of have evolved to to like versions of like i said americana stuff so it was like not super far from some types of music i like should be mentioned that Amy Ray has released like six solo records. So might be worth checking some of those out. I'd be curious to see if they are more in line with this or if they are maybe a little more rocking since she's into alternative music. I noticed on her first solo record, Josephine Wiggs or yeah, Josephine Wiggs from the breeders plays bass and keyboards. Kate Schellenbach from luscious jackson plays drums huh. uh, at least on some of the songs there's a, there's a yeah. number of different joan jett is on that album playing guitar so now i definitely want to check out that record because wow. that's a heck of a group of people uh playing on she's kelly hogan on a song uh she's got uh yeah there's a lot of a lot of interesting artists on that so i have to check that out uh scott thank you for bringing this to us we people talk about oh you haven't talked about this band or this artist in the 90s how how can you have not you know we haven't done a green day episode we haven't done a smashing pumpkins episode kind of feel like this is up there considering their success and their influence that it's clearly still around because of you know them being included in the Barbie movie, like we probably should have put them on the the Mount Rushmore of artists we haven't done yet, because <laughs> they are they have quite the uh, the legacy that I, I don't like think either of us were aware of. I like, I like making that list a little bit smaller of bands that you're like, yeah, they should have done this this group in. Um, well, thank you for bringing this to us. I'm I'm very I'm not going to make you reveal your 2025 pick. So you can you can keep that under wraps and and maybe you'll you don't have to commit to it today is what I'm saying. We don't have to uh, play the same game as last time. I feel so free. Like dancing. Yeah. <laughs> Not burdened. So if you at home or in your car or at the gym or wherever you're listening to this, the gym, let's be honest. Nobody who listens to this podcast is going to the gym. <laughs> They might. Why not? We're all got back pain. That's why we're all old. Our hips are need to be replaced. And I mean, you know, maybe the maybe the maybe power metal for some people just puts them at risk for injury. Maybe we're, we're need during re- take rehab down a bit after getting a, 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 a you know <laughs> something replaced by metal. Uh, if you uh, would like to join the union like Scott and suggest a record. You can do so 
by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. We have polls like this one. We have our monthly album polls where 18 albums enter, one album leaves. Usually, unless we get a tie, sometimes it's a little bit longer of a process, but we always get down to one. You can do so by joining us at Patreon. It's also where you can read the box newsletter. It's an al- uh, newsletter of albums, documentaries, books, etc., from uh, artists, 80s, 90s, and aughts that we list every week with a calendar of all new stuff. And there's a lot of stuff coming out this year. A lot. The first two weeks were dead, and then it went crazy. Yeah, it's good up. A lot of stuff coming out and dropping even like today, like it was announced there's going to be a new Pet Pet Shop Boys album and Beth Gibbons is releasing a solo album from Portishead. Like um, it's it's just a lot of stuff happening this year. So sign up for the box newsletter and you'll know all about it. Lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for this program. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Oh, I just-